Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to want you want you go to Luke chapter eight, and then our primary text is out of Luke chapter fourteen. Been speaking to you a message called "It's Like This," and it's like this. It's this sermon title because we want to learn more about God's kingdom. We want to learn more about what it is that that we are a part of as believers and followers in Jesus Christ. Honestly, the reason that we're, we're even doing this series is because I was driving down the road minding my own business, thinking about the things I had to do for the day. Probably you do the same thing. You're driving and multitasking in some way. And, and I'm, I'm driving down the road, and all of a sudden, the voice of the Lord spoke to me and said this very clearly, my kingdom is bigger than you think. And I'm like, uh, uh, it's kind of shocking when God speaks to you out of the blue about something that's on his heart that needs to be on your heart. Now, that's not an indictment. When God speaks to you like that, and when he spoke to me, I, was, I didn't feel like, oh, wow, now I need to, to go crawl into a cave. What I felt like is I need to go get in the secret place because this is an invitation. It's an invitation to discover something about God's kingdom. And I'm familiar enough to, uh, with the scriptures to know this truth. That when you want to know something about the kingdom of God, you go to the stories Jesus told called the parables. You say, how do you know that? Because when he told the parable of the sower, he wedged two verses from Luke chapter 8 right in the middle. And they said, what does this parable mean? Jesus answered this way, to followers of Christ. To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to others I speak in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing that they may not understand. And so he says, there are mysteries in these stories that a disciple, when they press into following me, they'll begin to understand. And so for the past couple of weeks, we've been in uh, kind of a series within this series called uh, The Invitation. This is the parable of the Great Supper. And we're going to read it again today, and we're gonna, uh, I'm going to remind you of some things that, that you've heard already, but today I want you to listen with all of your heart because I promise all of us in this room are in this parable. We're all in this parable or have been in this parable. Luke chapter 14, verse 15 says this. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Talking about one day. He was actually at a Pharisee, a ruler of the Pharisee's house at a dinner when this person said this. Verse 16. Then Jesus said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry or being provoked, said to his servant, Go out quickly into streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, 
Master, it is done as you've commanded, and still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now, the invitation tells us about three different people. First is the master, which is, which is Father God. This is, this is God himself. Then it tells us about the servant, and the servant are sons and daughters of God. It's born again, followers of Christ is who this represents. And then the invited, who we're going to talk about today, which is really everyone. Now, the first week, and you should go back, and, and, and if you didn't get to hear these messages, please, please, Calvary, go and listen to these messages. I feel like God is readying us like never before for such a harvest of souls, such a great time of increase. And these are readying words, a rallying cry of the kingdom of God expanding in this region. The first week was all about the master, how he's prepared and passionate and persistent, how he's prepared in advance a feast. Every detail's been thought of. The feast represents all that God has done for us, and and here's the, the message behind the feast, come for all things are now ready. It's not saying one day in the future, it's saying All that God has provided is available now. Tells us about the master. But then last week we were talking about the servant and how the servant is sent. That's the word that we get apostle from. That that we have the full backing of heaven. That as we're going and as we're reaching and as we're loving, we're not going on our own. But we come as ones who are light. We come as ones who are meant to carry the influence of the kingdom, to carry the aroma of redemption to a lost and dying world. Not only are we sent, but uh, servants are steadfast because the master says, go, and he goes. He says the second time, go, and he goes again. And then he says a third time, go, and compel them to come in. Servants are steadfast, and listen, if you've come here today and you're weary in heart and you're worn down, I've got good news. God sends his spirit to strengthen you with might in his inner man. You need to know if you're feeling down, if you're feeling weary, God named himself helper, and he says, I will come, and I will fill you, and I will heal you, and I will sustain you so that you can keep going. Listen, son and daughter of God, listen to me born again saint you're gonna make it you're gonna overcome this week we want to talk about the invited which is really everyone let's look carefully at everyone who the master is inviting and 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 i I want you to know this i i'm gonna give you some deeper thoughts today So get your spiritual fork and knife out a little bit because there's some stuff that you're going to need to chew on and stuff that you're going to need to uh, give give some real analysis to because these are common ways that the enemy tries to come against the body of Christ. First group that the master uh, invites is the compromised. You know what a compromise is? Well, a compromise is a deal where the accepted terms 
are less than ideal. That means one comes with a desire and another comes with their desire and they meet in the middle and nobody's happy. And so here are this, this first group. What are they? They're compromised. Luke 4, 14, 16 says, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and had sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. And I ask you to have me excuse. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. And I've come, I, I've, I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excuse. And still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, at first glance, it says, why would I call these people compromised if, if it seems like Legitimate reasons. Well, notice what stopped them from attending the feast. Notice. First, the first guy said, I bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. Now, wait a minute. Is that ground going somewhere? He said, I ask you to have me excused. Then the other guy said, man, I just got a Harley. Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it's not a one ox Harley. It's a 10 ox Harley. Because it's five yokes. And I got to go test it. The weather's too good to be in church today. I asked to be excused. And the last guy said, I'm married. I can't come. Hey, 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 come on, come on, come on. We're going to go. We're going to go on this road trip. I'm married. I can't, I can't come. I can't come. I, I, look at this. He don't even ask to be excused. <laughs> he don't even ask. It's like he could feel his wife giving him the eye. All the women are like, well, he was doing the right thing. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Here's why. Listen to me. All three of these excuses align perfectly with the three categories of sin spoken of in the Bible. Did you know sin has three categories? Sin has three categories. I told you we're going to go a little bit deeper. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the three common categories of sin. And these are exactly what is happening in these three. You see, the first is the lust of the flesh. It's living to satisfy an instinctual appetite. It says this. I want to possess. I want to possess. I'm going to see my land. My land. Not the land. My land. 
Remember when Mackenzie first came out of the womb? It was awesome. I mean, I was there, right there at ground zero, my gloves on. Delivered her, angels sang. It was perfect. She came out of the womb. I was like, <gasps> and I was holding her. The nurse screamed at me. She said, she's still attached. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Later on, mom, and it was like perfect. And of course, she did what every, uh, uh, every dad wants to happen. Her first words, first words, dada. Mom staying up all night, nursing her, taking care of her, changing her. Nope, nope. Those were the second words, mama. First word, dada. But the third word was much more primal, much more instinctual. Dada, mama, mine, mine, mine. And see, the problem is with most believers is that what we have done is said we want Jesus, but really we have never ceased from uttering the words mine, mine on the inside. I want to possess. I. And it was this type of sin that derailed this first invited. And then there is uh, uh, the lust of the eyes. It's wanting those things which gratifies the eyes. It's saying, I want the best. It says to those who are around, look at me. Look at me. It's five yoke of oxen. It's ten oxen. It's the Bentley of farming. It's the John Deere of the day. Look at me. Look at me. The lust of the eyes. What's this man say? I asked to be excused. I'm going to go and test out what everybody can see. This is, this is the thing where, where this man is living for the approval of man, not the approval of God. Look at me. And then the last one just says, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. And this is the pride of life. This is something that causes you to boast. I married a wife. I'm a success. Let me say it this way. I don't need to be excused. I don't need to be excused. Listen, church, you need to listen. We got to get this in our heart. That Satan's going to come knocking on our door with these things. It's going to be the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that comes knocking. And here's the thing. When you give in to sin, it robs you of what is available at the feast. Sin always robs you of what's available, of what God has prepared for us and is offering us. Let me say it to you this way. I know you want land. I think that's a good desire.
But God says, Psalm 2 verse 8, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. I know you want nice things, but the scripture says, Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. I know you want to be respected and I know you want to be honored, but there's only one way to live respected and honored in this world and it's James 4, 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I guess I could sum this point up in this one statement. The feast is better. The feast is better. Oh, it's better than land you could possess. It's better than the accolades of man. It's better. Listen, it's better than your honeymoon cruising in the Mediterranean. It's better. I've just come back from a healing conference celebrating the healing that happened in Dr. Tom Renfro, who has stood in this pulpit on a couple of occasions declaring how stage four cancer had ravaged his body, all of his organs going into organ failure, but God, God stepped in. After 80 days of intercession and all of those tumors through a supernatural course of event literally begin to dissolve, I'm here to tell you that, uh, that, uh, uh, that I was just with them and there was a man named David who ended up getting a, a cancer in his face. It was so large, it was closing his eye. It was impinging on his throat so that it, when he would try to take a little water, water would try to come back. It was so large. And Dr. Tom's wife, Sid, went to David a, a few months ago. He was in a meeting. Can you imagine? Listen to me, church. You need to hear this. Can you imagine when the doctor said, just go spend your last days with your family? Just go spend your last days doing what you want to. And this man said, no, I'm going to quote the word of God. And the doctor said, no medicine, no surgery, no chemo, nothing can help you. Just go live your last couple of days doing whatever you want to do. He said, I'm going to get in God's house. Because when I get in God's house, there's a feast that's been prepared for me. And Sid walked over to him and she laid hands on that giant tumor on his face. And she, she just said it this way. And she said, and I felt something. And she goes, I, I, I walked away, but I felt something. And so I came back and I prayed again. And we felt the presence of God. He said, the next day I woke up and that thing had diminished by like 25%. And then over the course of the, just the next couple of days, it totally dissolved. All the MRIs went back to the doctors. They looked anywhere. They said, you are cancer free. What did you do? What did you do? He said, I stood on the word and I went to God's house and the elders laid hands on me and I was healed. Here's what he said. I went to the feast because the feast 
was better than the field. It was better than going out and getting entertained. It was better than the accolades and the successes of men. And God moved in his life. And I saw the man, face totally restored, testifying of the goodness of God. Here's what I have to tell you, church. The feast is better. Oh, can you imagine that, yes, you could be outliving your best life or on vacation, or you could be laying hands on the sick and seeing cancer bow its knee. You could see lives changed by the gospel. Listen, church, the feast is better. The life God has for you is better. Look at the second group of people that the the master invites. These are the cast-offs. Luke 14, 21 says, But the servant came and reported these things to the master, and then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. These are four common, listen to me, cast-offs that the master is coming after. Who are they? The, the, The poor. These are the people who are in an economic trap. This isn't a physical trap. It's a spiritual trap. They're in an economic trap. And here's what they're asking. Will God really provide for me? Is he really a provider? All of these traps are indictments against the character of the master. He says, will he really provide? And if you're here today and you feel like, man, I'm in the economic trap. And I don't, I don't know what to do. Here's what you do. You stand on the word of God, which is forever settled in heaven. And you begin to quote the word of God saying, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory. You begin to quote Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. You begin to stand on the word of God. Ecclesiastes, cast your bread upon upon the waters, and after many days you will find it. Will God provide? Then there's the maimed. These are people in the trauma trap. They're in the trauma trap. And here's what they say. Is there a God who will deliver me? You don't have to live very long to know that pain is probably going to come your way. That there will come difficult circumstances knocking at your door. And when the difficult comes, that is the fork in the road moment. When trauma comes into your life and it's a situation bigger than you can control and you you can't manage your way out of it, what are you going to do? It's a fork in the road moment. Here's here's, Here's the two choices that you have in that moment. Either you are going to choose to be your own defender. I experienced this pain, so this is what I'm going to do. I experienced this brokenness, this is what I'm going to do. Or you let God be your defender. 
You let God be your interpreter of the pain. You say, God, this is happening. You tell me the way to think. You tell me what to say. You tell me how to live. No, most of the time, people in the trauma trap, all they can think about is, I need to protect myself because I'm not sure that there's a God who will deliver me. But I have come to tell you that my Bible is filled with delivering moments where our God could even take three million people under the influence of the greatest superpower of the day Egypt and walk them out with more gold and silver than they could ever contain walk them right up to a Red Sea part it, walk through on dry land and have, the, have their enemies follow them in and drown them just so they know oh no, I've taken care of your enemy and now you're entering into the land of promise. I'm telling you there's a God who delivers if you're in the trauma trap today he'll come and deliver But what about the lame? The lame are different. Those are not the ones who were maimed by pain. They were born that way. They were born this way. This is the family trap. My family's always been alcoholics, always addicts, always this, always that. When you fall into this trap, here's what you think. You begin to question about whether or not God will heal you. I'm in this family trap. Medical science will come to you and say, well, this is just in your DNA. You're more prone to this. Well, that that may be a fact, but this is the truth. And this truth trumps the fact. It'll change the fact when you believe it by faith. When you believe it by faith. I saw a man on Monday night, which by the way, man, Monday night at this healing conference was crazy. The worship band had practice and practice. It was awesome. They, 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 they were ready to go. They just struck up a few chords and all we did was start the meeting in prayer and it was like God couldn't wait to get there. He couldn't wait to get there. And in this room of about a thousand people, the Spirit of God moved so strong The worship team didn't even get to sing a song until the end of the service. They were just up there playing. And I saw this man. They said, every pastor in here, go. Go out to those who are in need of healing, no matter what it is. And I saw this grandpa who came to church carrying what was tying him to life, an oxygen machine. And it's helping him to breathe. And I don't know, this is where I broke spiritual protocols and everything, you know, you're supposed to, you know, be mindful of people's space and ask them nicely if you could pray for them and all the rest. When I saw him, he looked so much like a grandpa to me, I just, I just walked up to him and there I actually kind of climbed over some chairs to get to him and I just wrapped my arms around him. Those tubes in between us, and I begin to cry out, God, open his lungs like you opened my father's lungs. See, I had watched my father be like nearly crippled with COPD, but then I saw the healing power of God touch my father's lungs. And so he came off of oxygen, and I'm hugging this man, going, God, I, I pray right now, Lord. 
you the healer would show up. I can't say that I felt anything other than this man's embrace. But the next night when I came to church, he ran to me. Carrying his tubes and his his oxygen machine. He said, it's been almost 24 hours. I've been off the oxygen. I'm off the oxygen. He said this, listen to me. It's been eight years of 24 hours a day on the oxygen. If you're here today and you say, man, what I've been dealing with, it feels like I was just born into it and there's no escaping it. There is a Savior who heals. There's a Savior who move mountains in your life. It's the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. The blind are in the darkness trap. The darkness trap, they don't know a way out. They can't see it. This is who the servant is going to. And that one in the darkness today is going, will God rescue me? I don't know where to turn. I can't see up, down, around. I don't know. I'm in this darkness trap. Will God rescue me? I've got good news. There's a word we use all of the time in church. It says saved. That word in Greek is sozo. The very first definition is rescue. God will come to your rescue. And if you're in this place today and you feel like I, I don't know the way, I, can't, I don't know which way to turn, I don't know how to heal this marriage, I don't know how or what to do, I've got good news. The master is inviting you to experience his rescue, to experience his ministry. It's really found in Luke chapter 4 in Jesus' first ever sermon. We quoted it a couple of weeks ago, but it bears looking at it again. It says, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable, favorable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing here is what you need to know the anointing that rests on Jesus is enough to heal you to rescue you to save you to come into your crisis and provide for you this is and when does it happen Heaven? No. He said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. You say, I don't know. I don't know about the darkness. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm here to tell you. There's victory in Christ. There's victory in Christ. This is why, this is why we consistently tell you, stop saying you are just a sinner. Stop it. You are, if you are born again in Christ, you're not just a sinner. No, we all have sinned, 
But when, by grace through faith, you become a son or a daughter of the living God, you were a slave to sin. But now, I am a servant of righteousness. Now, I used to be a slave and I used to be in bondage to sin. But now, I live in victory. Listen, the ministry of Jesus brings you into a place where you say, I felt cast off, but now I feel brought in. I feel like God has given me victory. By the way, I know some of you, your your darkness, it's included demons. It's included demonic attack. It's included the assignment of the enemy coming against you. Let me just... Let me just show you what Satan's view of your life should look like. You ready? Satan's view of your life. Here it is. My Bible says he's under my feet. He's under my feet. He's a, he is a defeated foe. Listen, don't give Satan more power than he deserves. He's under your feet. If you'll realize, wait, oh, my God's a provider. My God is a healer. My God is a rescuer. My God is light. So I cannot be in darkness and dwell in the light. Let me tell you about this last group of the invited. This last group is is really broken. They're the compelled. Compromised. There's the cast off and then there's the compelled. Remember the master, they said, master, it's done. As you've commanded, there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. You see, the compelled are those who are convinced that their distance and dysfunction have disqualified them. Their distance and their dysfunction have disqualified them from receiving help from God. And yet God in this story is saying, no, no, no. No, no, no. If you ever run into a person who is in this category, their first answer is always, no. It means, hey, would you like to come to church? No. No, I tried that. Really? How many times you go to church? Once. That was trying? Yeah, I tried that. And here's what you need to see also about the compelled They're satisfied to sleep under a hedge rather than seek shelter in the city. They're so broken on the inside that they think, you know what, you know, those those who are maimed and lame and blind, and they're in the lanes of the city. Why? Because they know, well, if there's people around, at least there will be people to show mercy to me, to show grace to me, to show charity to me. These people feel so disqualified and distanced that they say, there's none of that that's available to me. I'll just go outside the city and just get under a hedge where nobody can see me, where I can't receive anything. These are the ones with no hope. They've, They've given up on there being any goodness. 
No one will give me pity or a handout to soothe my hunger. And the message from the master to his servant is you're going to have to compel them. God intends to overcome every objection to convince the world of this truth. He loves you and he wants you. Church, we have to go wherever they are, distanced and disqualified, and we have to carry this message. God loves you, and he wants you. You may be broken. You may be addicted. He loves you, and he wants you. He doesn't want to leave you that way. He's calling you and sending servants who will go, go, And go even farther again. You see, Jesus did this in Mark chapter 3 as I wrap this up. It says this, and he went up on the mountain. Notice what he did. And he called those to him he himself wanted. And they came to him. He called those he himself wanted. And they came to him. And then he appointed 12 that they might, listen, be with him. That he might send them out to have power to heal sickness and cast out demons. Notice, Jesus goes up on the mountain and calls those he himself wanted. I don't know where you're at today. Men and women, but you need to know this. He's calling you because he wants you. He wants you. Not just a great kingdom. He wants you by name. He says, I call you by name. And it says, they came to him. While I understand that men and women all around the world at times resist the drawing power of God, I personally find the love of God irresistible. And you may be in this place today, and you feel this sense, man, I don't know which category I'm in. I don't know if I'm the compromised who's settling for being satisfied with things of the world rather than the things of God. I don't know if I'm the cast off who found myself in one of those traps set by the enemy, or if I'm that one who has no hope. It doesn't matter which category. Here's what you need to know. The master's inviting you to a table. And here's the invitation. Come, for all things are now ready. The salvation's ready. The deliverance is ready. The healing is ready. He has made it all ready. He has supplied it all through his death, burial, and resurrection, through the work of the cross and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He has supplied it all for you today. Come. He wants you. Come. He's calling you, come, come and receive from Christ. 